0: Hello, it's Monday, November 19th, or excuse me, not November 19th, November 20th, 2017 at one o'clock Eastern time, and this is Admissions Live. I'm your host, Nicole Antini, and on today's live broadcast, we're going to be speaking about adult learner mindsets. Admissions Live is part of the Higher Ed Live Network. Our episodes offer you direct access to the best and brightest minds in education. Be part of our live broadcast by sharing your knowledge. Participate in today's discussion by tweeting at us using the hashtag, Higher Ed Live. All of our episodes are free and easy to access in the video archives at higheredlive.com or take Higher Ed Live with you on the go by subscribing to our podcast. Today's episode is made possible by NRCCUA. We are sponsored by NRCCUA, a membership organization supporting better student outcomes for more than 44 years. Recently, NRCCUA introduced Incura its approach to helping colleges and universities make data-informed decisions using predictive analytics and research. Leveraging Encore Data Lab, NRCCUA members gain access to great tools, resources, and training through a combination of student data and insights, enrollment services, and research and advisory services. Visit Encore.org to learn more, and I am tweeting out a link right now uh, where you can learn more information. Hired Live is produced by M. Stoner, a digital-first agency committed to tailored solutions that drive real results. Are you an enrollment management or admission professional who works with digital content and marketing? If so, M. Stoner's digital marketing for higher education online conference is for you. Sessions will address content marketing to recruit students, how to use social listening to identify strategic influencers, search engine optimization, and more. We're tweeting out a link to le- so you can learn more about the conference shortly. And without further ado, I'd love to introduce my guest today, Howard Lurie, uh, Principal Analyst for Online and Continuing Education at EduVentures. Howard researches the adult learner market, alternative credentials, and online program management services. Um, So Howard, can you share a little bit more about your work in higher ed thus far, and uh, kind of a little bit more about your current role there?
1: Sure, yeah, thanks Nicole, and glad to be a part of the conversation today. So as Nicole said, I am uh, the principal analyst for Online Continuing Ed at EduVentures, uh, part of Encora. and my role really has been to try and uh, better understand the ongoing, uh, I guess, evolution of how online learning works or sometimes doesn't work, Uh, and then particularly how that uh, process uh, supports um, adult learners uh, who are sometimes named non-traditional learners, sometimes named new traditional learners, but those folks who are... Uh, uh, somewhat older, 24 years and older, not the first-time for, for first time full-time kids coming out of high school, but that 36 million-some-odd population who uh, doesn't have a terminal degree yet. Uh, and uh, uh, that's not, that's been my focus. In addition, I do all sorts of other research that uh, Eduventures focuses on, on competency-based education, um, on alternative credentials, um, and a whole range of different digital courseware uh, platform services, uh, it runs a gamut
0: excellent and I'm hearing some bits and pieces that I might have to catch you back for another episode talking about sure. uh, <laughs> talking about some of those uh, kind of unique learning uh, learning tools and uh, changes in grading but that's for another day so um I'm so excited to have you on because you know as, as you spoke we kind of there's a few different names thrown around for adult learners non-traditional and you know even in preparing for the show for the for the episode today we were really speaking a little bit in these different terms but um, when I was digging a little bit more into your research I I found some really kind of staggering statistics um that uh 40 of students or 40 percent of you excuse me of us residents aged 25 to 34 lack a degree or credential from a college or university which is like you said about 36 million adults um so I think, you know, this is a huge part of the conversation we should be having, and um, as we were speaking before going live, you know, I think every college should be talking about this if they're not already, every college and university, every uh, strategic partner that's out there, anybody who's in higher ed um, should really be thinking about how adult learners are approaching the educational world differently. Um, So I'm so excited to, to dig deeper into your survey results and kind of hear a little bit more about some of the things that you found. So, So, you found that there were a lot of kind of obstacles to adult learners. Can you talk a little bit more about how you you kind of cultivated your survey to dive deeper into all this complexity that adult learners are really kind of emerging into when trying to pursue education?
1: Sure. Happy to do so. So, you know, we've done surveys of adult learners before. Uh, Going back almost 10 years, we've done annual surveys um, and collected the data, and I think it's been useful. Uh, to the institutions we work with and the vendors we work with. But increasingly, we had a feeling that we were um, not as precise as we or our colleagues in the research community and institutions could be in trying to understand the range and variety and complexity of how this population, which, as you say, is growing, um, and there's sort of there are a whole range of sort of social imperatives about why we need to address these issues. And, um, and by and large, you can imagine the, the way the areas of the population that grows are, are not equitable. They tend to be under-resourced uh, communities, people of color, women, uh, immigrants. And so our sense this year was to try and and do something different with our survey process, to not only just uh, collect the data on a large national sample, which we've done, but to apply a cluster analysis uh, technique that we've used in other surveys to see what would happen if we could build some behavioral and attitudinal mindsets about this population. Now, the challenge is is that the range of, of variables, how adult learners non-traditional learners or whatever we're going to call them, the range of variables and things that they're impacted by is is significantly broader and more complex than your traditional high school population. Um, but we didn't want to be deterred by that. So that's how we ended up with this approach this year. We're really excited about it. We think it's going to be an ongoing and really iterative approach. We're going to continue this in subsequent years. Um, but we're, we're pretty in, enthused by the results. There were some things that we expected to see in the mindsets that we developed and there were some things that we were really surprised by in terms of like how we wrestle with complexity uh, is you know we, it's commonly thought and i think this is true that adult learners are are attracted by uh, flexibility and affordability that uh, you can probably uh, find any number of reports and scholarship and research into that we think that's true uh, however we think that doesn't really capture the whole range and the spectrum of, of how they make decisions uh, and how they will ultimately um, uh, follow a path towards going back to school to get that credential or that certificate, that degree or whatever it might be. So we think sort of visually, if you can, folks could imagine, uh, sort of two axes, You know, on one axis or horizontal axis, a spectrum of people who want to be personally fulfilled, they're doing a, a or a degree because they've always wanted to learn something and they've never had the time. The opposite end of that spectrum are the folks who are decidedly and completely 100% career advancement. I'm doing this thing because I need to in my job. It's licensure, I'm going to move up on my salary scale, whatever it might be. That's one axis. And that's pretty commonly understood. We've discovered another axis that we an axis that we uh, we think is significant, and it runs from sort of highly immersive programs to highly convenient programs. It's almost as if the students are telling us, the prospective students are telling us, "Look, I know that to get myself moving forward on my career advancement track, I'm going to have to give myself over to that program. It's going to be intensive, immersive. Uh, I'm not. I may even take time off of work." Uh, as strange as that might be. Um, and at the end of the the other end of that spectrum, we see convenience driving a lot of decisions. So when we think about those four kind of ends of the compass, so to speak, of mapping this adult learner population, we think about immersion to convenience, and fulfillment to career advancement, and that's how we're trying to make sense and demystify some of the complexity. And what we've done, um, as you mentioned earlier, is we've run uh, through our survey analysis, we do this in Encora, what's called Data Lab, um, uh, part of the Encora platform, is we run statistically validated uh, mindsets uh, uh, distributed across three different levels of, of program preference, whether it's a certificate, an undergraduate degree, or a graduate degree, and and that's really what the body of the report has been in. Um, we think that it's uh, a good start and an interesting start, and we haven't seen it done this way before. So uh, that's kind of our tradition. We'd like to try new things, get some feedback, try it again, uh, measure it twice, thrice, and, and cut once. And that's, that's our approach. Excellent. Well, and I, I love that,
0: you know, we You've, I've seen, I've had Kim on from your team, and we've talked about prospective student mindsets. Um, I just really value the fact that you're talking about, you know, I feel like even the axes that you're talking about are different when you're looking yes. at kind of prospective traditional students versus these adult learners and, um, and what's going to be kind of. F- Living in that space of, of fit is going to look so different, and and so I appreciate you kind of giving that framework because um, I know it helps me. I uh, I was speaking about this with you before we went live, but I'll share this with the viewers that, you know, I typically live in the traditional student space, Um, but uh, this past week was covering um, a grad table for us and um, learning about those mindsets, being able to kind of anecdotally see and have those conversations was really, really enlightening um, to get a sense of what was preventing people from going for their continuing education or for for starting a degree in some instances, depending on where they were in the space. Um, And it was just really, Insightful. So I'm excited that you're kind of living in this totally different space of data um, and kind of finding where these mindsets fit. So I'm I'm excited to hear more about these mindsets. What what can you what can you share with us about?
1: Sure. Well, uh, as I said earlier, you know the way we did this was we we built in a set of questions around expectations. Um, what in effect asking these prospective learners how do you expect to learn and what do you expect the results to be. And also, what are the program features that you are attracted to? And those provided an effective filter. And we looked for the patterns in those responses and clustered those patterns, those responses around these mindsets. So for example, uh, you know, we found a mindset that is highly career advancement, uh, focused on career advancement, and both a certificate and undergraduate and a graduate level. So in effect, people were saying, I need to get that, that um, uh, nursing, relicensure, and that's all I want, versus students who are saying I want to get an undergraduate degree, I haven't finished one, I got a couple of credits from community college, but I want that bachelor's degree. And the, or- the reason why I want it is-, is thoroughly and solely career advancement. And then we find people at the graduate level who are also career advancement. But what we also found was really interesting differences between those three levels. Hmm. These are again, so if you take one part of the results of the survey a portion of these adult learners saying, yes, career advancement is driving these. Now we're able to see some differences, patterns by those three levels. So for example, what we saw that, um, you know, these, these are, again, these learners are highly transactional. Uh, in effect, they're sort of very commodified. You know, they, they, they're, they're not really interested in the immersive the, the liberal arts experiences. They're, they're looking for a transactional experience. But what we found was some of the differences in terms of pacing, in terms of levels of support services for those career advancement learners, and certainly levels of price point. What's their pricing tolerance? Depending upon where they are in their professional trajectory, we found that certificate career advancement learners tend to have had more success prior to that point in their career up till time. And so they're less willing to walk away from that successful professional career uh, than versus folks who are uh, the graduate career advancement learners who had and had the predominantly already have an undergraduate associate degree. And so we would suggest that the ways that institutions market and message to those those three levels across career advancement is actually are actually distinct and not to assume that these learners are going to be monolithic and respond to the same messaging in the same ways. In, in effect, the doubles in the details and the differences uh, we think are important. That's just one example. Um, you know, We also found, for example, a lot of variability and difference among under, prospective undergraduate learners. and That was a sample uh, in the survey that we found the, the greatest range and variety. So we found the, the career advancement uh, motivated learners. We also found other learners who were, again, signifying to us, I want an undergraduate degree. We found among the other mindsets in that, in that uh, program level, a much higher degree of risk, a much higher degree of desperation, a much higher degree of, uh, I need to pivot, I need to reboot my, my life, um, I need to get finish that degree I never finished before, Whether they're first gen and they're, we found some significant evidence of people saying, "I want to model to the rest of my family the value of going through and getting a degree," but not always. So among these other undergraduate learners, we found, for example, um, a fear of being isolated, a fear of not having the support services that they they may get if they go to an online or wholly or partially online program. So even though the schools might say we got the program for you uh undergraduate learner it's going to be online and it's you you, know, you do it 24 7 from your phone or whatever that's appealing on the convenience end of the spectrum it's also terrifying or can be terrifying for some students who have had lack of success before and now realize that they're really not part of a cohort um there's there's uh a loss some indecision around the level of support services they can get from students uh, Mentors coaches and so forth and we fight again thinking downstream to how institutions might want to think about this We think that really knowing who is in effect by your um, Your experience at the program level certificate graduate degree level Whatever might be can help them make better decisions about how they communicate those services and ultimately how they deliver it so the takeaway for us was sure online is a great leveler uh, it, it provides great convenience, but it also comes with a risk and it comes sometimes with a risk for students who have had lack of success before. Um, we also found that, that real mixed attitudes towards the quality of online learning. Uh, a lot of students saying in effect kind of a hold your nose approach. Uh, I'll do this but I really don't want to do this, but I can't go to campus because I've got a full-time job and two kids and I'm commuting through 30 or 40 minutes a week. That's the kind of level of detail that we're able to pull out. Those are some examples of some of the things that we came across that we think are, are kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, no, those are those are super interesting. And and to think about how many different I don't know, how many <coughs> different risks are on people's minds and and um, the different approaches. Like it's funny, you know, you you said that they're not monolithic and that's absolutely true, but to the to the specific details that these groups can vastly differ you know from from degree program to um, what they're looking to get out of it to that cohort i mean it makes a ton of sense but i don't think i was previously thinking of it that way you know thinking Oh, yeah, online education, you know, that's convenient. It's whatever. It's, you know, hopefully a reasonable price point. But that's a really good point that I know even myself, if I, if and when I go to get a degree program, I've had concerns about online learning because of that lack of a cohort, that lack of sort of um, a person there, people there that are part of my class that I know and have had familiarity with and are going through this with me. So you bring up some really interesting points and it sounds like um, the nitty gritty of these different mindsets must be. No, I
1: should, I should say too that a mindset in effect is a, you know, it's, it's based on, on a, a expressions of sort of attitudinal and perspectives around a whole set of questions. And in and of itself, it, that's what it, it's data then modeled into um, a description of how someone might behave. Um, so we have to be careful. The caveat is to say these are not 100% um, predictive 100% of the time. But we think they become a lens for an institution, a technology company, or service provider, whatever it might be, to think through, almost gut check. Are we messaging the right way, the most effective way, to the, to the learners who we want to bring into our program? And are we going to be able to support them in the right way? I mean, going back to what we talked about earlier, and this is something that we've thought about uh, a lot, you know, there's this sort of uh, uh, medical model of higher ed where, you know, you're as if you're inoculated once, um, to steal a phrase from Ted Mitchell, you know, in your first four years, and you get this, this shot and then off you go. And we think that that model is, is um, slowly but surely just gonna disappear. That's, we don't think that's an effective model, both in terms of learning experience, providing students with an enduring experience and also we don't think it's, it's uh, um, a good, true, true test of what institutions can do. So instead we think it's more of like a continuous cycle of booster shots for students to come back and, and cobble together, not, not, not uh, accidentally, but intentionally with the institution. Here's how I can segment my experience over a longer period of time. And I think schools are adjusting to that new kind of reality. We see evidence from these students that that is the kind of they don't want a one-time inoculation i'll be set for life right. they want to come back but they're worried about coming back because they're putting at risk their job their families the, the relative economic stability that we have And we should also say you know all this is predicated on where, where we are currently economically you where know, you know where are we due for another recession are we due for a correction Um, The longer we go from the results, the recovery, as slow as it's been in some communities from the last recession, the more likely we're going to be to go into another downturn, and that will affect all of this as well.
0: It's really it's a, that's a lot to chew on that you just yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah for a um, Monday morning before Thanksgiving a Monday yeah. morning before Thanksgiving,
0: right? it's true. Well, I'm laughing at the inoculation uh, kind of uh, comparison there because I am terrified of, of shots and needles. So I'm like I don't know if I want to think of education that way, but it's a really good point. You know, it's not just a one time and you're done thing. It's really something that I mean, hopefully in any any line of work. I I mean I know that I do this that I'm. Ch- checking in, I'm learning more, I'm you know listening to the episodes of Higher Ed Live, but I'm also I'm doing the research out there and doing education in of its own in my field. And the thought of going back to school or of getting an additional degree or certification is um, sort of looping back around to that. It's an, it's right. just an interesting comparison. But Nicole, you're Here. but
1: you're you're unusual, okay? You're maybe more <laughs> unusual because you know we asked students for example, we asked the prospective learners for example, uh and we we cross tab this by the mindsets what do you do to research a school what do you do in the 12 months before you're going to actually uh take the steps towards enroll what are you doing wildly different results in terms of age um in terms of income and ultimately in terms of mindset patterns are not consistent so that leads us to think that's what schools have an opportunity uh, is to sort of really rethink the ROI of their messaging, their marketing, their recruitment and their enrollment techniques. You know, They, they may be more disconnected from the actual attitudes and preferences of their prospective learners than they might think. Um, and so it's almost like a health check, a wellness check for institutions catering to this population to ask, um, you know, carefully about. How are they, how are they communicating? So again, back to this question of support services, you know, some of these mindsets uh, are, express a, a real desire to know upfront, who's going to help me? You know, how often, what, what are the qualifications of my quote unquote coach? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and in some cases, some of the mindsets who are more confident and have been more successful in prior educational environments are much less interested in this. But knowing that difference we think can um, almost be a, a way to assess, uh, do an assessment of your own language. How are you communicating that? Are you are you targeting one end of that spectrum by saying, We're, you know, we have an approach, whatever the approach might be, to um, providing retention and student support services so forth. But is that really capturing all of the prospective students who you might be trying to attract? Or is it repel some? And then we think that's a that's a possibility.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I appreciate what you said about using them as as a lens, because I think it can be too easy to sort of depend on, okay, here's a mindset and I'm building something off of this mindset. And that's not really the goal. It's like you said, sort of filtering what you're doing through those mindsets. And okay, does this hit on these concerns and these, and these kind of um, these, dif- these differences in these different mindsets do we, do we address these concerns of this particular mindset and this mindset and you know who are we leaving it who are we leaving behind? Um, and as you're filtering through them you might catch things that otherwise you might not have been thinking about if you're just trying to match something to a particular mindset. I don't know if that totally makes sense but yep, my yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well and were there any surprises you've shared some interesting pieces, but anything that kind of made you sit back and go, oh wow.
1: Um, a number of surprises. I mean, I think that um, we asked them to describe their their program preferences, um, you know, in other words, what do they want to study, both at the, the program level and then across the mindsets. And you know, not in some ways, not a lot of surprises there, business, uh, health, continuing health education, careers, um, uh, and the like, education, right? We did find that some of these mindsets, who might be the least well prepared, or have the least chance to be successful in a certificate or grad or undergraduate degree, were expressing a high interest in things like computer science or data informatics, um, information. Um, and so we were, were pondering that. It's almost as if they're saying, "I'm really desperate. I need to get a better job. I'm going to go after and learn coding or whatever, more programming." And that's great. We, what, what a great opportunity! But the, the, the success rate they may have going in, they may, they may be ultimately qualified to be able to be successful, but they may need more sort of fundamental ground, um, elemental uh, support early on. Uh, and so, the fact that someone expresses an interest in a particular program doesn't necessarily translate into capability to be successful in that program. And as, as schools go online or, or create blended or, or, or other types of programs that cater to you know, cybersecurity, for example, we hear tons of schools are trying to create cybersecurity programs. Are they, do they know the range of sort of tolerance that their prospective students have for having the kind of component skills to be successful and what kind of support they might need? There might be more, and this is exactly why there's been a, uh, you know the, boot, the sort of boot camp um, coding boot camp phenomenon, which is very counterintuitive and in some ways a completely non-institutional solution to that problem. That's why many the, you know these and they're not in, they're not uh, cheap they're not inexpensive. There's been a you know those enrollment numbers have gone up. Do they provide the best quality um, uh, experience for students? Uh, that's a whole separate conversation. You know that, that not what we researched here, but we think that was somewhat uh, one of the surprises about in some cases the less qualified students reaching for the highest brass ring. Um, and what is that a function of? Is that just you know marketing? Is that reacting to uh, common assumptions in popular culture? We don't know. That's that would take us down a rabbit hole. Wow. Yeah. I, I,
0: every little bit of information you're sharing, I'm like, I feel like it could be a, an episode and it's okay. Right? So right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, were they, so you know, I know you talked a little bit at the beginning about you know kind of like this cost and convenience thing is you know on a lot of minds. Are there any other um, significant spaces of overlap that that you found between these different mindsets? And I mean, I know that they're all kind of on a, a mm-hmm. spectrum of these axes, but any kind of big points that you found that sort of came through for a lot of folks?
1: Well, a lot of people talk about balance. I mean, when I when I and when I say talk about. The data talks about that, thing. right so, right it, so a lot of us are saying, well, on the one hand, I'm ready to give myself over to a program. I want the school to work for me. Um, and and I'm you know, you know take some time off, whatever. But at the same time, I have all these, you know I have kids and I have a family. and and so there was some it was sort of a we did actually a, a, a two by two chart in our report that maps these, these mindsets across these spectrums. And not surprisingly, there's a sort of geography of them, a geography of these adult learner mindsets. And there's a lot of attempt to sort of come to the middle and find that balance between immersion, convenience, career, fulfillment. Um, we think that is, um, there's a lot of overlap in there. But that actually poses a huge challenge, because people's, the, the, the ability of people to reach that balance is sometimes going to be driven by their economic status. You know, can, they, can they take more time off of work? Will their employer, you know, very few of our uh, prospective learners indicated that employers were contributing much um, to their education have you know, the data around how they were going to finance that. So that's an overlap that we think is important. This question of balance, is imp- we're all trying to seek that balance. The, the value of the balance is, is less important to some uh, learners than others. We had some uh, prospective prospective learners who were simply saying, "I'm completely ROI focused. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it's going to take me to get that degree. If it's if I can if you can calculate for me, school X whatever it might be, that I will see a bump in my salary, then I'll do that program. I'll quit my job. I'll I'll take out more loans. I'll." Find daycare for my kids or whatever. If if you if you actually have accurate and, and uh, actionable information, so some are completely ROI focused, hmm. and some again are not uh, to to a, a significant degree. Hmm. That is.
0: Uh, oh wow. Okay. That makes that makes sense, and I I feel like I'm thinking from it uh, thinking about it from an institution's marketing perspective. I'm trying to wrap my head around, you know, because you don't want to just go for the lowest common denominator. And and I feel like as I'm hearing you talk about where they do overlap and that and that sort of balance, I think I'm thinking through like, okay, do different institutions then and different types of programs draw certain mindsets and drive away others? You know, what
1: what what is that that's a that that that's a question I don't think we can answer because you know the way we work is we work in concert, sort of hand in glove, with our client institutions, and with mm. technology vendors. We also with other researchers in the field. And I think that um, you know, I mean, one tendency we see, which we encourage schools not to do, is that kind of drive towards boiling the ocean. Like, let's create all the programs for all the learners within a hundred miles of us. We think that's not really a, a, a well a, a well designed a solution to a a fiscal problem or enrollment problem, whatever it might be. I mean, we think that these schools, we think there are people in every institution who know these learners. They know these mindsets. They've seen them across their desks, in their classrooms, Mm -hmm. um, uh, coaching them online, face-to-face, or whatever. And so I think schools have an opportunity to tap into that local knowledge, but also compare that local knowledge to the evidence that we've created, and to try and, and not necessarily uh, this is really longitudinal. This is a process. and then impetus to sort of, and I know there's a lot of obviously a lot of financial pressures and programmatic pressures and governance issues, um, whether you're a public or private or for-profit, online blended and so forth, they're all there. but but we think that um, this this is you know th- this can take some time, but we have seen a lot of schools attempting to bo- take that boil the ocean approach, saying we're going to reinvent our entire uh, school of business um, in one semester that's just that's dangerous risky maybe they ha- maybe they're going off of re- reliable data but I would sort of gut check that
0: yeah well and I appreciate that you're
1: saying gut check against your your local you, you know that yeah exactly and if they don't I think if you find there's gaps and, and you're you're talking with your enrollment officers and you recruitment people um, and you're you you're, you're your enrollment office, and they don't have that actionable intelligence, this becomes an opportunity to build upon that. It's almost another tool to do a gap analysis, you know, is there awareness at your school of the differentiation among prospective adult learners? Yes? Great. Well, then let's let's look at that. No? Well, this is an opportunity to sort of introduce and provide that professional development for those people who I think should have that awareness.
0: It's really that's fascinating fascinating way to think through that that makes sense um, so I, I pulled a, a sentence from your article, which like I said, I tweeted out, and by the way, reminding folks to tweet at us with questions uh, using the hashtag highered life before I forget, um, but from your article, mindset serve as a window to the deep seated concerns these learners have about the risks, both financial and personal, that they assume by returning to school, um, which I think was clearly a significant point from which, student, from which institutions can make decisions about how they're best recruiting, retaining and supporting these students Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been speaking a little bit to that already but um i mean as you were going through this and and learning more about these mindsets and thinking about in the context of institutions you know what were some of the big things that jumped out at you that colleges should be thinking about incorporating into their practices you know was there anything that you're like wow this seems like this is a kind of a gap that maybe we're not addressing, or anything anything that jumped
1: out at you there? Well, I mean, I think the, the major theme of what we're trying to say here is, is sort of the, it's time to disassemble the monolithic notion that adult learners behave in a certain way. I mean, they've just, you know, we think this is an, an important inflection point. I mean, we think not, not just our data, we think it's significant, there are other people trying to do this. It's now possible to get more granular data um, for a population that has been less understood, less differentiated, at precisely a time when they have more opportunities to solve their um, economic, their own personal economic trajectory. They have they have other options that are non-institutional options. They might be non-traditional programs. They might be alternative credential programs. They might be just simply staying in the workforce. Um, so it, it's, a, it's sort of a crosshash of, of both driven by some economic uh, conditions and by the availability of data and the ability to model that data. Um, so it's as if that we've known the least amount of a large population of students who are going to be increasingly driving decisions that institutions have to make to a much greater degree than the traditional high, amount of high school, first-time, full-time students. And this is not to de-emphasize the need to do some of the same work with those folks as well. but. Let's think about the numbers. I mean, there's 36 million Americans, uh, people living in this country, who don't have a complete degree or certificate. And that's sort of, I think that's sort of just a national uh, travesty. I, I can't, you know, and but it, it threatens sort of economic development on all sorts of perspectives. I think that the other, or other sort of takeaway has been around, um, trying to embrace the complexity, and that can be, uh, you know, we're not saying that sort of a, a, a wishy-washy way, but that um, we think schools have expertise and obviously have, have an understanding of dimensions of the outlines of this, um, but we think this is an opportunity to sort of draw our new baseline and say, here's a program that we want to grow, here are the populations we want to grow it with, let's understand what are the variables that they, um, operate under what they might respond to, um, and we think that's an a, a important kind of step forward. And going back to also, I think, what we talked about earlier is these students look at the institutions sometimes in very different ways than the institutions look at themselves. I mean, they're highly transactional, and you know, whether for value judgment aside, this is a commodified educational environment, they want to consume education, the way they've consumed music, um, uh, tires, shoes, any number of things that are um, consumable products now. And, and in it, it, particularly among continuing ed and graduate professional ed, it's highly commodified, mm-hmm. um, highly transactional. Doesn't mean that students shouldn't be um, uh, faced with, with hard um, uh, more complicated decisions around value systems, instruction, communication skills. In fact, one of the things that we talked about surprises, we noticed that some of the students who had been the least successful as associate or bachelor degree programs were the most interested in programs and experiences that, for example, would help change, improve society, would help oh. introduce them to working and living in communities that are different than their own. and so and you know do you put an economic roi on that that's harder to do but the students who were more sort of developmentally in progress in terms of being successful students were more at least in our sample were more open to programs that would you know expose them to things that they hadn't been exposed to before sure. and some literally said so there was a number of the experiences and program features questions said yeah i want a program that i can u- i can get skills to improve society. That could be people going into education. Um, it could be a number of different fields. So it's not only people saying, ah, I just wanted the job to get the degree and you know move on. So again, some contradictory tendencies there, we find really interesting. And we think schools should find those really interesting because that's the space they need to color within. Hmm. The lines, that is, the lines yeah. they need to color within. So. Yeah,
0: that's, that is super interesting. And I, I think it's nice when you have your um, your preconceived notions sort of uh, really shaken like that, where you wouldn't have necessarily approached folks that way. You know, you wouldn't have thought that, but that's, that's kind of well, neat, and I think it's good for colleges to for institutions to know.
1: I think there could be a lot of other things that we wouldn't normally apply. And again, right. this is early days, I mean, this is our first annual attempt at these sort of behavioral, attitudinal mindsets. And as we continue to work with them over the next several years, you know, the Encora data lab is a really powerful tool. And um, you know, institutions who are part of our our client base will be able to actually use the Encora data lab to run in uh, effect their own their own crosstabs against this mm-hmm. data to organize and shuffle that data uh, in very interesting ways. We think that will reveal something. Is that we, we don't feel like we have a monopoly on the intelligence of this data. We've sort of try to model in ways that I think institutions could, could make use of it going forward. And we're excited about those opportunities for those for those institutions who are within our network.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think they're going to have some really exciting data to, to to tap into and to start wrapping their heads around. Um, do you feel like there's any Kind of deeply contradictory practices that you are seeing in in higher education right now that um, kind of go right against the you know what you saw in some of these mindsets and obviously there's a lot of mindsets so it may not hit some sure. but anything I mean, that
1: jumped out at yeah. you I, mean, I think that um, I think two two large categories of sort of uh, messaging um, and then te- decisions around technology so on the messaging side I, I think that we. When we think about the mindsets and how they function, uh, their preferences for programs, and then we look at how schools tend to describe themselves, Mm -hmm. um, which are predominantly going to be online, there's there's sometimes a discontinuity. um, And there is sometimes a discontinuity, uh, inconsistency within an institution. In other words, we can see, uh, and this is some of the marketing work that we do with our clients, uh, the same programs described differently in different places across uh, a footprint, a, a marketing footprint, whether it's an undergraduate EM or whatever it might be, these learners find that profoundly disorienting. Uh, you know, they just you don't want to add to the kind of co- cognitive noise they already have about risking a lot to go back to school, and so um, it's it's not simply a matter of not having green grass and ivy and pictures of of happy undergraduates that's just it's just it's a more complicated picture that needs to be presented to this population that's one i think two and around the technology is um you know we didn't find a lot of love from these prospective learners about technology online courseware adaptive learning uh, they're aware of these things. Uh, the one thing that stands out is they want things to be mobile. Um, but we, you know, we sometimes think of this population, maybe maybe the younger edge of this population as being sort of digitally inclined and, and uh, transacting all sorts of experiences um, in a digital way. Doesn't necessarily transfer into their um, facile ability to, to study online. For, the, for many of these students, I think it's still a little scary. And the quality tends to be all over the place. So if you have one bad experience in an online course, I think they'll stick with you, unfortunately, for a long period of time.
0: Interesting. Well, and I'm kind of, I'm thinking of that in the context of what you were saying earlier about sort of the transactional nature of how they're approaching going you know speaking with colleges and and pursuing these degree programs and certificates and everything else and I'm thinking about how a bad experience even at that point can really it greatly impacts sort of the expectation and the sure. uh, the excitement for for going through that institution and I know that um, I've even had you know friends who have tried to go back to you know are trying to go back to school or get a new degree or start a degree and it's funny being on the undergraduate side of admissions because i know that process and i know that you know we we know the nitty gritty of all the different moving pieces of it and sometimes i think when folks return to it or are going through it for the first time it can be super frustrating um, and so i'm kind of kind of trying to wrap my head around Balancing the transactional nature of it, and still, right. but still having to count. You know, I don't, I don't know if that fits at all into the mindset. But I'm just, I'm thinking, I have this thought in my head as mm. we're talking through these right. things too about how we are approaching supporting them at the early onset of this whole um, recruitment piece of it. You know, we're talking a little bit about retaining and about supporting, but thinking about the recruitment side, of it's sort of interesting. Too. I mean, another
1: another issue that comes up is pacing.
0: Yeah,
1: and. Um, as I said earlier, we've done a lot of research on competency-based education. And we without calling anything competency-based education in the survey instrument itself, we do, uh, we do invite uh, the, the uh, people who are completing the survey to identify elements that you could construe as CBE. I want credit for prior knowledge. I want uh, to work at my own pace. Um, I'd like to be able to test out of something once I can prove mastery. Sort of the common classic elements of CBE. Um, but going along with that, it, it, that doesn't result or translate into the saying, I want to enroll in a competency-based education program. Hmm. Because what, some, what I think to your point is what sometimes is not asked but often lost is what kind of support? What's the value of a cohort? What's the value of being part of a community? Are you, are you interested in relating the learning experience to a member, someone who's a faculty member, who's assessing your progress? To what extent do you want to associate with a coach or mentor? For a lot of learners going back into school, the notion of coaching and mentoring might be a new concept to them. Yeah. It might be a long time since they've been in a, a sort of traditional experience. And that experience might have been pretty bad last time they were there. Um, so schools need to rethink. How do they communicate their value prop, their mechanics, mm-hmm. the blocking and tackling to this population? And not assume that that just because it's there, they will enroll and be successful. I mean, right. some, In some ways, that's sort of the field of dreams message here, is that it's build it and they may not show up at all, or they may show up for five minutes and they're gone. Um, and it's not Kevin Costner in a, a sea of corn i want that on a mug it's
0: just like a lot <laughs> big pocket <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> no but it's it's true you know and I, yeah there's just i I'm, i hope the viewers brains are like just overflowing as much as mine is right now with everything you're sharing because there's just there's a there's a lot of complexity as you said and and um i think digging into what are they what do they hope to get out of the experience and why do they hope to have that and what right. what sure value does that provide to them? Not just, this is the expectation that I have for education, but um, what do I need to be successful? And is this institution going to provide that for me? Is It's an important conversation we should be prepared to be able to have with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's excellent to think about. I, I know we're kind of nearing the end of the hour and I want to be cognizant of your time, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, so say I'm kind of someone who's you know in this space and want to be better but i want to kind of identify first what mindsets we we already are, are kind of working well with here. you know where where do you sort of start to sort of wrap your head around what are we already doing well and and where can we improve you know what do you recommend for an institution to sort of wrap their heads around all this
1: um good question i mean i think so this report will be published um in december um through uh in the Encora platform the data lab platform um, we're, um, there may be some other public webinars we might do through Edge Ventures. Um We published, uh, we have a, a, every Tuesday uh, free and open anyone something called a wake up call. So if someone goes to EdgeVentures.com or org and looks for a wake up call, they can find it there. And we'll write, Kim and myself and some of the other analysts, we write frequently on these topics. And that's one way to sort of. Uh, be apprised of some of this research that's coming out. Uh, certainly with institutions who are part of our um, client uh, community, they can access this report, we can do advising sessions. Uh, in 2018 we'll have the Encore Data Lab um, uh, interactive models built out and the schools can actually log in and, and use that service. For schools who are not uh, part of that service, we're, we're obviously, um, lots of different ways they can join and enter that. Um, uh, that's a, a, a tiered uh, levels that uh, we can certainly provide information on. Um, I think we're also hoping to stimulate a broader conversation in the higher ed research community about we'd love to we'd love this to be sort of invitational and have other groups uh, try this approach and, and, uh, and continue to, um, to, to build upon that. Uh, we know there's other folks who have tried this before, and we've learned from them and, and we think that will be. Useful going forward. I would think if I'm sitting in the seat of some of the folks who have dialed in today, and this is the first time you're hearing about it, I would have a higher level of expectation by the conference presentations I go to or the things I read in Inside Higher Ed or in the Chronicle to ask, well, do we have this type of analysis that we've seen at the traditional undergraduate enrollment management world? Why don't we have this in the uh non-traditional adult learner market world and where is it and this is one place where we're starting to develop that Uh, there's no real reason not to have it outside of just it's a different um, set of research questions and a little bit of a different process Um, so i think the expectations um, should be there and people should ask for this and ask for clarity and um, we can at least try and stimulate a conversation to get that kind of clarity Excellent.
0: Well, I hope people take you up on um, exploring more with you and and tapping into your data, because it sounds like really, really fascinating stuff. I, I can nerd out about this stuff for, for hours. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm glad to to talk to you about this and, and learning more. Um, before I, I checked on Twitter, I don't see any questions right now, but reminding viewers, if you do have any questions, um, please feel free to tweet them to myself and um, Howard is on Twitter as well. Um, but um, happy to read them if we're still online while you tweet them. Uh, we have some great live tweeting going on from uh, Katie Clark and and uh, Gil as well, so uh, hopefully folks will check those out. Um, But before I let you go, uh, is there anything else you haven't shared? Or, you know, I I feel like, you know, are there questions I'm not asking? Are there things we haven't covered yet that you want to share, that you're just excited to share about um, this research that you've had thus far? I
1: mean, I think the most exciting thing we think is that um, this will be continuing, this will go forward. Um, This is sort of, um, we've level set in a new way about how we're we're thinking about these problems. Um, We think there are dozens and dozens of really important efforts. I was at a meeting this morning with uh, Governor Charlie Baker in Massachusetts and the Commissioner of Education here. It's a public meeting uh, around five new initiatives that the um, Massachusetts Department of Education is announcing in terms of things like credit. Uh, uh, credit for prior learning, articulation agreements, credit transfer, and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of good efforts. We're excited for the fact that going forward, we think we have a new lens. Um, it's uh, I, I liken it to, um, you know, you, if you wear glasses, you go back every year or so to get your, particularly my age, to get your prescription <laughs> adjusted. And, you know, we're going to slap down new lenses here. You know, we get more and more. As, as the problem gets more complex, we think we have the tools to address that complexity and create better vision. I'm not an optometrist, but I think that's a good metaphor. And, and rather than just a one-time shot in the dark and, and hold our finger up and see which way the wind's blowing, we're trying to take a, an informed, careful, uh, and, and uh, unplanful approach to a problem that we don't think has gone away. Um, and we don't think it's going away uh, I don't think anyone's magically going to enroll 36 million students or provide them with credentials and then what do you do so um, I think it's we're excited by the fact it's sort of a, a new opportunity to raise the, the, the conversation on these questions
0: absolutely and I appreciate all your metaphors by the way um, well and and yeah I think you know it's a it's a funny it's like it's it's a Pro, well it's not a problem for the world, but you're right. It's it's concerning. Why are there you know, we, we should try to find better ways to support these adults out there that, that want to gain additional education, but I think it's also it's a really good opportunity, plain and simple for colleges too, for colleges and universities, for any institutions I, I, out there. I would have
1: regulators, creditors, um yeah. education, uh, employers, corporate Absolutely. partners. Um I mean, it's just and I think everyone understands the problem. Mm-hmm. we're saying here's another way to solve that problem. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited. I can't wait to see you all revisit this and and learn more and you know who knows we'll be getting into like 20 mindsets next time but no I think I think it's exciting to dig into the complexity and and explore you know, how we can best serve our constituents, no matter what their age, no matter what they're looking for. And so I'm excited that, you know, you're digging deeper into this world of, of adult learners and really um, helping us as institutions and others out there supporting these learners at being better and at making sure we're doing the best we can by them. Sure. glad to help. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on. Um, and like I said, watch out because you're probably going to come back around uh, sure. <laughs> in the future. Um, and uh, I'm getting a, a lot of pushes to call this Howard is Live. So uh, for Gil Rogers, who's for tuning Gil. in, you're yeah, welcome. I don't know yep uh, so I guess next time we have you on it's going to be hashtag Howard live and hashtag Howard is live but um, thank you again Howard and uh, hopefully folks can connect with you all after too if they have additional questions. Um, thank you once again as well uh, to our program sponsors NRCCUA and, and M Stoner and I will see you all uh, again next month. Have a great Thanksgiving everybody. Happy Thanksgiving everyone.